Hi, this is Wendy Paladino, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Budras. And we are uh, continuing our summer series uh, with uh, Ms. Lori Doherty. Uh, she's one of my very good friends and colleagues and also my co-advisor for the class of 2025, which we were having a great time getting started with this past year. Um, we are going to ask her about what she's got going on this summer and then taking a look at some of the things that she's been involved in um, in past summers. So welcome, Lori. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing this particular summer. I know that there's a lot of exciting plans going on, so tell us. Um, this summer I am wedding planning. I am getting married in the end of September. Um, so lots of researching for different wedding aspects and things and lots of last minute appointments to kind of set all the final tone for the wedding. Um, but also, of course, a little bit of traveling. Uh, I'm very excited for it. I'm also uh, feeling a little old because we didn't include this in the intro, but Lori was one of my students in my 10th grade class. She's worked with me for a long time as a colleague. And every time these uh, these people who I met as children are, are doing things like getting married it makes me feel a little um, a little, little closer to my own demise, but but I can't I can't say that uh, I don't want to frame it that negatively because uh, I've met her fiance Rich and he is a high quality person. I'm really excited about the life that they're going to live together. Mm, I thought you were going to say he is hot. I thought so too. <laughs> you know, I hadn't considered. It, but, uh, <laughs> I'll leave that to the ladies. Uh, where are you getting married? Um, the watermelon Smithtown. Okay. How long have you known Rich? Um, a little over three years. Very nice. Are you excited? Yeah. Very excited. Are you nervous? A <laughs> uh, Are your families really excited? Yes, very excited. They both love each of us. Oh, and are excited to kind of bring our families together. Oh, and, good. And Rich is an educator also, right? Yes, which is perfect um, to fit into my traveling lifestyle. But Rich also loves to read. Um, so he was reading books in our house and on the beach and everything else. Um, but he also likes to travel. He loves history. So we, we have a lot of common interests that, you know, makes it work well. So you're getting married after the school year starts at the end of September. I think you're going to be one of the only teachers that I know that isn't going to be posting this summer. Happy anniversary. Everyone on Facebook, every other day, it's a happy anniversary for our teacher friends because teachers get married in the summer. So what made you choose getting married in September, at the end of September? Why did you not do what all of the other teachers have done before you and get married in the summer? Um, actually, when we first got engaged, like, or started talking about um, the possibility of getting engaged, it's like, it's not negotiable, we have to get married in the fall. It has to be a September or October wedding. Like, that's what I want. Um, but Rich was really up for that because July and August are just so hot and like it's really hot today like and I wanted an outdoor wedding so I just didn't want to have to deal with like the heat or like you know elderly guests dealing with the heat um, and still be able to have that outdoor wedding and like September's actually been like in the 70s over the recent years so it's like perfect temperature I feel for like a fall wedding. Nice. Are you guys going to be able to go on a honeymoon immediately, or do you have to delay it? Um, there's this thing now called a mini moon. Uh, <laughs> oh, mini moon, see, I'm um, Yes, so we're just going away for two nights right after the wedding, um, out east uh, to Aquabog, 
right by, by uh, Greenport. Um, and then over the February break, we're going to Aruba. Nice. Yeah, so we have that planned out. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, so this is, that's, that's a, definitely a wedding that's influenced by the whole uh, teacher calendar. Yeah. It sounds like your mini moon is a, is a good solution. Yeah. Yes, it's a, yes. Good to have your time. And we love it out east, so whether it's, you know, North Fork, South Fork, it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter to us. They're totally different, but we love them each for different reasons. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any, like, tra- like family traditions that you're getting ready for for your wedding? I feel like we're not doing a lot of traditional things. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided to have an outdoor ceremony at our venue. Mm-hmm. Um, we are doing a unity candle, um, but some different things. Um, my brother Eddie is officiating the wedding, um, and my eldest brother Greg is walking me down the aisle. Um, but otherwise, I feel like our wedding is pretty unique. Cool, okay. Yeah. And because you're Irish, and he's Italian. Yes. By the way, because this is a audio experience, anyone who were to see Lori <laughs> in real life would know that she's Irish. She's about the most Irish looking uh, woman that I feel like I've ever met. Fair skin, Thanks. freckles, red hair. <laughs> um, yeah, Rich is also part Irish and French a little bit, but okay. he definitely has the Italian features mm-hmm. um, and very Sicilian. And hair. so no like <laughs> traditional cultural things that need to get done during a wedding for you guys. Mm. Okay. So this summer is certainly being defined by wedding planning, which is really exciting. But I know that summers in the past for you have been very different. So what was a typical summer? And I guess you could sort of comment prior to COVID, uh, prior to wedding planning, what was a typical summer for you? Um, I actually am a big backpacker, which means that I travel with only a backpack on my back um, and I stay in hostels, which is not like the movie, (laughs) Um, but actually a very positive experience. Um, I've backpacked with family members, with friends and also solo. So I've been to almost 30 different countries on three different continents. Get out. That's awesome. I didn't know it was going to be that many different countries. Yeah. So when did you start? this sort of experience of backpacking and did you start solo or did you start with family members what was the progression there Uh, um so after my first year of teaching um over 10 years ago i went to an england and ireland trip for about 14 days with my brother eddie his wife laura and her sister rachel um so that kind of started our tour um just for two weeks. And then the following summer, well, actually the following year, I won a Fulbright scholarship. Um, For this particular scholarship, I was able to teach English in the Czech Republic for the school year from 2013 to 2014. Um, Learn about their culture, teach them about, you know, American culture and experiences. Um, I did some traveling the year that I was there as well. A lot of it actually with the school. Um, they're very big on field trips to other countries because everything it's like, you know, the states in the US mm-hmm. um, I got to go to Switzerland. I got to go to Austria and go skiing like it was a really positive experience um, and then following that summer uh, me Eddie and Laura also Backpacked for a month throughout Europe Let me ask you because I've, I've heard this from several Europeans it didn't matter what country they were from. When I asked what was their favorite city in Europe, they all said Prague. 
and you're close, you're, I imagine you were close to it the year that you did your Fulbright scholarship. Did you love Prague also? I did love Prague. Um, coming from New York um, and having New York City, none of the cities are necessarily comparable or as big, I would say, except for like London. Um, Prague is very small, but the thing about the Czech Republic is that it's not on the Euro. So everything is extremely cheap for Americans. Um, so aside from like that factor, the food is delicious um, and the history, the architecture is like really cool. Um, so I would say it's, it's a hot place to go for many Americans and many other people. It's on my list. Yeah. When you're in the hostels, what was that like? Did you get to meet a lot of different people who were also backpacking? Were there a lot of Americans or mostly Europeans? What was it like? There are actually a lot of Australians. Yeah, they go on these big like gap years or like their jobs will tell them that they could take a year leave of absence to like just go travel the world and then come back and you have your job back, which is pretty cool. Um, but I've also met a fellow Americans, um, lots of different Europeans, lots of people from Latin America. So kind of, it's very culturally diverse. Do you keep in touch with them? Um, we are all like Facebook and Instagram friends, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and we do comment on each other's stuff and like, the people you meet backpacking are backpackers and travelers. Like, so I've met up with like other people on other trips or like we've encountered each other on other trips. Um, you learn from them where they've been, where are they going? Those are like the two popular questions. What's your name? Where'd you come from? What's your plan next? And like, <laughs> try to get ideas from them. Of, like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like I should do that someday. Um, but you're always in touch and like, they're still traveling and like, you know, a lot of things have changed with COVID and more domestic travel, but you just get to always get fresh ideas and see what they're up to, which is cool. So do you, when you were out and going to these network of hostels, did you find that if there was another person solo or maybe another couple of people that you would just sort of latch on and travel with them for a certain amount of time if they go to the same place? Did you ever change your plans based on the people that you met, like while you're going? <laughs> um, a little bit of everything. Um, the hostel culture is like just so interesting where these like people just felt like glimpses of your life, but like those memories stay with you forever, which is so cool. Um, you kind of just get there. I've stayed in, I've stayed in private rooms when I've traveled with families where it's like just the three of us are just like a four person room, private. I've also stayed in rooms with like 16 people can fit. So there's eight bunk beds. Um, and then like women only rooms, co-ed rooms, there's all these different options. Uh, but kind of you just mean whether it's in the room or like in like the hangout area or something. You're just like, hi, I'm so-and-so, like nice to meet you. How long are you here for? Oh, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm gonna do that too, like let's go. And you just become friends for the day mm -hmm. or friends for like your stay at that particular hostel. And they're like, okay, bye and then you leave. <laughs> do, um, they, do they always know you were American before you told them? <laughs> um, no, because I look so Irish, a lot of people think I'm from Ireland. <laughs> and then I speak, and then it's abundantly clear I'm American. <laughs> um, but like uh, the secondary question that people always ask, you know, where are you from? Oh, the United States. Oh, what state? New York. So like, I just stopped saying that I was American and I just started saying I'm from New York. <laughs> They're like, oh, cool. And they automatically think you're from the city and you have to tell them otherwise. But um, yeah, they only know a few states. They don't know like too many of the interstates. Mm -hmm. So like New York is very easy to just hop to like, I'm from New York. And they probably have, I know I experienced this when I talked to Europeans. Um, often they had trouble understanding how large 
the United States was and how large New York was. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. when we were in college, we'd have Australians that would just show up because we had somebody who knew some Australians and they would just come, once they knew they could stay with us, they would. And they'd show up with surfboards in <laughs> Albany. <laughs> and you'd go like, Miami will go surfing. And you go like, well, we, there's no surfing around here in <laughs> Albany. Or maybe we'll go to the city tonight and go, that's two hours from here. But they, yeah. yeah, so. I mean, you would think Australians would know because it's a pretty big place, but. And I've actually found that like a lot of people do not want to visit the United States. Um, and if they do, it's only like specifically New York City or all the national parks out west. Right. Like that's what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, not so much. Have you traveled around uh, the United States? Um, after college, my roommate and close friend Chelsea was originally from California. Um, so she had to drive her car back and I kind of like hopped and convinced her to take a cross-country road trip. I was like, so like you're going <laughs> back to California, you probably need some company, so want a road trip and make like a road trip out of it. Um, so kind of like a straight shot across, but I, most of my travel has been on the East Coast. So one more question about the hostels. Did you ever feel afraid? Never. Never. Um, I think, you know, you, as a woman, you do need to be smart enough to not walk around at night necessary by yourself, unfortunately. Um, so whenever I was alone, I would always make sure all my traveling was in daylight hours. Um, and you're going buses, trains, those kinds of things. Um, but I never felt afraid alone in general traveling. Um, but you just meet so many people and it's just like this culture where you become friends and you look out for each other. Um, so when I did go out at night with other, like we were there together and we came and went together kind of a thing. So because you're a social studies teacher, do do you feel like this background in travel has kind of enriched you as a social studies teacher? Definitely. Um, and I, I think it has also changed my way of thinking about things. Um, you know, it's one thing to travel to different states within the United States and there are cultural differences here as well. But when you go abroad, you just learn about different economic systems and government systems and social systems. Um, and, you know, different people live their lives totally differently from us. Would you, would you say that you felt like this experience makes you more of like a divergent thinker where you're, you're more likely to look at the way we do things here and say, simply because we've done them this way does not mean that that's how we should continue to do them. Right, right. Um, you know, one thing, and, and of course, a lot of the places I go, um, I tend to meet locals and I ask about their education systems and like how school was for them because I'm generally interested in that information. Um, a lot of European countries, especially, they're still more lecture based, where we've moved to very much like project based learning. Um, and they see value in that because you just get all of this thinking and creativity. Um, and their exams are different. Like in the Czech Republic, they had uh, oral exams. So they like would ask you a history question and you had to like explain it verbally, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then, you know, they also got to choose which exams they took. They didn't have to take an exam in every single subject, which was cool too. All right, so your traveling experience is like the highest standard I hope to re- to have like a retirement that looks like your you know early twenties, um, but you also did some cool stuff 
here um, in terms of like a camp, right? I know a little bit about it, but um, I want you to tell me all about the camp that I believe you created, um, what it was about, who it was for, tell me. Um, so actually I have my mom to thank for this. Thanks, Deborah. Um, she saw an ad in the Long Island Advance that the Bellport Kids Camp, which is the traditional July summer camp in Bellport Village, was looking for a new camp director. So she like cut it out and put it on my desk for when I got home from work and was like, you're going to apply for this. I'm like, mom, I've only been teaching for like a year or two. There's no way I'm even gonna get an interview for this. And she's like, you're gonna call and you're gonna go. And I'm sure thing, they call up and ask me for an interview. I'm like, mom, you're never gonna believe it. <laughs> Um, but I went there and, you know, I spoke to the board members at the time and just gave all of my ideas for, like, what I would do with a summer camp. Um, and then I got a call a few days later that they did not want me for that position, but they actually wanted me to create my own camp out of my ideas, um, which kind of, in a way, would be an extension of the other camp, but also independent at the same time. Um, so for about four or five years, I operated Camp Explore in Belcourt Village for the first two weeks of August. NYSIT is more than 600,000 people who work in or are retired from New York schools, colleges, and healthcare facilities. We are classroom teachers, college and university faculty, and professional staff, school bus drivers, custodians, secretaries, cafeteria workers, teachers assistants and aides, nurses, and healthcare technicians. We are dedicated to improving not only our working conditions, but also our professions. We are united in a common commitment to improve the quality of education and healthcare for the people of New York. At NYSIT, we make a difference. So what was the purpose of Camp Explore? Um, I was very much of the mindset that not all children like sports or being outdoors the entire day. Um, and it's more of like an enrichment program. So Camp Explore, you explored all these different aspects and subjects, um, kind of like all the fun stuff in school without like the worksheets and standardized testing kind of a thing. Um, but we took them out for like scavenger hunts to find different things. They did a puppet show. We worked with the Bellport Brookhaven Historical Society. Um, we did some really cool exhibitions with them about like the Long Island Ducks. We also had a spokesperson from the Shinnecock Reservation out east come. Um, the kids were really into that experience and seeing everything that was like handmade and learning about the culture out east and everything. Um, we worked with like different organizations. I was really big on forming partnerships um, with like animal societies, um, you know, the historical society, different science groups, and kind of allowing children to see all of the opportunities that exist here on Long Island. Um, and then as well, diving to like arts, drama, and dance. We also worked with the Brookhaven School of Dance. So the kids put on like little uh, talent show performances and things. Um, and on the last day, all of their projects, all of their work, we put on this like big showcase for parents and it was always really exciting. How old are the kids? They range from just finished kindergarten through seventh grade. How many kids did you have over here? Um, we had about 40 kids. That's amazing. So was, I imagine, well, first of all, why doesn't it continue? Why isn't it in, exi in, right. in existence anymore? Right. Um, 
Unfortunately, we wanted to grow the program bigger, but after the four years, we're still averaging around 40, 45 kids. So it got like dismissed. But I feel like that was still a successful number. That was not? Was it not cost effective? Right, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Capitalism. (laughs) The thing is the first weeks of August is like a prime time for parents to take their children on vacation before school starts. So you have a lot of rentals in Belport Village that are mainly for the month of July. Mm -hmm. So all those kind of kids from the city or other states are leaving. Um, And then a lot of the kids who are local, they're going on vacations before you have the last two weeks before school starts and your school shopping and those kinds of things. So perhaps the weeks that we chose were not optimal. And you didn't want to compete with the regular Belport kids camp. Correct. Right, which my daughter did. It was a great experience for her. But um, now I feel guilty that we missed the opportunity to send her to Camp Explorer (laughs) because... That sounded like a great, well, actually, I'm, I'm literally part of the problem. We, those are the, the weeks where we travel, <laughs> so we wouldn't have been available. But that's great. I'm really impressed by that. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you have a lot of um, camp counselors, like camp, like people that come and help you with the kids? Yeah, I had nine people working for me. Nine. But was that paid or volunteer? All paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of like transferred over from the July camp. So most of the counselors from that camp like who kind of ever kind of was interested and available to work two extra weeks mm-hmm. worked for me for the August camp. Right. Um, and like same hours, 8 to 12. Okay. The kids were, or 8.30 to like 12.15. The kids are there from 9 to 12. Um, I think for the two weeks, it was like $125 a kid. Mm-hmm. And then... That's great. The pay scale at the time, obviously it was different, but it was like if you were high school and then there's like a quarter pay raise or whatever through college mm-hmm. but once you had a bachelor's degree then your pay bumped up to like 17 dollars an hour i wonder if um because parents are always like they love these camps but they're like ah oh, they're not full day camps right like right, right. i wonder if it could have just you could have just been like the back end of the that camp so, so we did propose that but you have to do lunch then Okay. Um, and it was like just a big headache. PB and J's, bro. Too many. What's the problem? Or bring your own lunch. Do you know the amount of allergies that kids have? I was going to say, oh, you're trying to close someone's lunch. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, like, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but that was, uh, Leslie O'Connor was one of the board's members at the time. And she was the only woman. And she was the one who really got me the position and, mm. and started the camp. It was like, I think this is a great idea. And like, I really liked her. I thought she was progressive. I love Leslie O'Connor. Both um, her daughters were valedictorians about for it. Yeah. And they were, like, amazing. And, like, I mean, even the mayor, right, felt like, he, like, loved the camp. Like, mm-hmm. he came to the show, he's like, this is amazing, but, like, we just couldn't get the kids That's to nice. come. Mm-hmm. Which was the unfortunate part. But, like, the parents, the kids, like, they loved it. But, like, a blacksmith came, and they did, like, a little cool. presentation, and we raffled off little hooks they made and stuff. You're so cool, Lori Doherty. Yeah, I know, right? But I, I also learned about all these organizations all along. I yeah. like, researching. Yeah. Camp Director Lori at 26, like, what? <laughs> I'm like, mom, look what you got me into. Oh, God. <laughs> a famous muralist. So there's, like, this beautiful mural the kids made one year. Yeah, they couldn't do what I've learned is that you can't do multi-day things with summer camp kids because they don't always show up every day. Mm. <laughs> so I'm like, back to Monday things. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, maybe there are certain things that they did do in the other camp for a reason. <laughs> but trying to make it cool. We had science stuff, like STEM things that they could do build things out of like spaghetti or whatever they were into it they really liked it and i thought the boys were really into it too they even did the talent show i love it i have videos i have pictures i used to photographer me um, i used to do like this big slideshow at the end so they could see all the different stuff so Lori, i 
loved hearing about Camp Explorer. I knew that it existed. I just didn't know how varied it was and, and what you, you did and, and clearly how much work you put into it. Do you think you'd ever be interested in doing something like that again? Or has life moved on for you? I think I would be interested, but I think I'm more interested in having kids go on travel experiences with me. Like, kind of like a tour guide person of a kind, but bringing like, you know, there are definitely programs that exist like this already, but that's kind of where my interests lie at this point. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, we try to offer as many kinds of things like that during the school year to kids through enrichment programs. Um, I'm so, I'm surprised that we, that schools don't do that more, right? That schools don't host camps in the summer for kids. I don't know if they do things for little kids in the elementary level, but I, I would just think that, especially a big push recently has been trying to find ways to get schools to be more like community schools. Um, And that would be like one of the ways where it's, you know, these summertime camps that are so popular, but also, you know, when we look at things through the lens of equity, not necessarily available to all of our students, uh, whether they can't afford them or whether their parents work all day and, you know, are not home to, you know, bring them and drop them off. Uh, or pick them up because they're only like three or four hours a day anyway. So um, I just, do you, could you see something like that happening through our schools as opposed to just, you know, through outside sources? I think that schools could definitely do it. You just need teachers or adults who are willing to work it, um, which is oftentimes a challenge. But, you know, I've had kids say to me... Or a central office or school districts to, like, invest in it. Yes, yes. Um, But especially for kids who necessarily, let's say, aren't traveling or don't have, you know, parents home all summer, so they really are stuck at home, I have had students voice, you know, interest in doing, like, enrichment summer programs at the high school level. So, you know, many, many schools offer summer school for kids who are struggling. But there aren't enrichment programs for kids who would like to be with friends and community and hang out for a couple hours a day. Um, I could see myself doing something like that. So maybe almost a camp explore at the high school level for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there are kids who genuinely want to learn and just have something to do and like keep their minds stimulated instead of staying home on their phones and playing video games all right. day. I mean, we know that there's tons of research about the concept of summer slide, especially amongst low-income students where over the course of the summer, if they're not getting enough mental stimulation, their academic skills decline by the time they get back to September and they have to catch up. And uh, I feel like this is the kind of thing, especially with a lot of um, post-COVID money being spent to try and uh, you know address the gaps that, that widened during COVID, this is the kind of thing that school districts should be doing, especially if there's funding there where uh, where if they have these programs opened up, it could, you know, it could address one of those root causes of performance gaps that schools have, and it's definitely an equity issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that it's one of those things where there are a lot of grants available for things like that. So even if the funds are not available, we could try to find ways to fund that. Absolutely. Um, and fund busing. Yes, because that's, it's always about the transportation. All right, comes down to that.
So, Lori, I seem to remember that not only were you out traveling the world, meeting all kinds of interesting people, but that you actually documented it for other people to see. How did you do that? Um, so, at least for the year that I lived in the Czech Republic, um, as I was learning about their culture, um, they also wanted to learn about the American culture, but I did blog about all of my different experiences. Um, if you want to check out the blog, we'll post the link for you, but it's travelsofaginger.blogspot.com. Um, so you can learn all about the Czech Republic. Um, there's even one uh, post about me speaking in Czech about my family members. So I did try to practice a little bit of the language there. Do you remember any of it? Ah, that is. Hello, how are you? Ah. Informally. Yeah. And you sound good saying that. I mean, I don't, I, oh, I don't know what, you know, Actually, a native Czech no, would sound like. Does that sound good? I've, I've heard a lot of Czech and it's really, it's not all that great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Very cool. And so uh, how many like journal entries did you do? Was it like extensive? Was it a... I tried to do one or two a month, so there's roughly 30 entries. Oh. Nice. That's very cool. Do you share that with your students? Um, I did when I, I actually used to work in New York City schools. Um, so when I returned, I did share it with my like Brooklyn and Manhattan kids. Um, I don't know about recently. I think it would be a great sourcing Mm. <laughs> but I, I do tell them all about my travels. Um, like in 2019. Do you, do you have a shrine? Do you have a shrine at your at your in your classroom dedicated to yourself? Like I tell, one of our other I colleagues do. <laughs> what Wendy's referring to is because I have done a, a decent amount of traveling, especially before my daughter was born, even after. Not at Lori Doherty level, but uh, but I have pictures of me in famous historical spots. And one of the uh, teachers, no, one of the TAs at the school, uh, before he got to know me, he said, "What's up with that Budgers guy?" To this other colleague, and he's and the colleague said, "Oh, he's a good friend of mine." And he goes, "The guy's got like a shrine to himself in his classroom." <laughs> But I feel like there should be a shrine to <laughs> travels because, I mean, I really, I'm not at your level. So I, I think it's really interesting. I think kids, when I talk about travel in the countries that I've been to, um, the kids will always immediately say, I've never been anywhere. Mm. And I'm always quick to say, when I was your age, I had been probably less places than you had been. And then we get in a conversation about how the choices you make in your life can open up opportunities and that it's not as hard as it would sound if you're willing to make some kind of adjustments for cost. And it sounds like you're, you'd be an expert for that. So do you get a chance to talk to kids about it? Yeah, I actually had a student ask me this year, like, how do I become a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, anyone could be a millionaire if they make the right choices. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, everything is about, as they say in economics, opportunity costs. Mm -hmm. So like, I specifically save all my money for traveling. And like, I don't go out to eat a lot. I'm not a shopper, I hate shopping. Um, I'm just like a very frugal person. And also backpacking and staying in hostels makes these trips more affordable. Um, you know, if you want to stay at a five star resort, that, resort that's like all inclusive or something, of course it's going to be way more money. Um, but I would say actually in high school, I did go one, two, two places out of the country. Um, back then 
well, over 15 years ago, uh, Belport High School had this partnership with EF Tours. Um, so I went with Mr. Budras and some fellow uh, teachers at Belport High School with, I don't know, how many kids would you say? Which trip did you go on? I went to Italy and Greece during spring break for about... Uh-huh. Hi, this is Bobby from Belfort. NICENS takes a look at teaching initiative as a union-led initiative to develop a robust state- statewide educator pipeline in New York. One of its aims is to increase educator workforce diversity. In New York, students of color represent 56% of total enrollment, while teachers of color represent only 19% of the workforce. In the 2016 through 2017 school year, more than 200 public schools districts in New York did not employ a single teacher of color. Overall, enrollment in New York State teachers' education programs have declined by 50% since 2009. With more teachers retiring, it's estimated that we will need up to 180,000 teachers in the next 10 years. The teacher shortage crisis is real. We need you. Thanks to the strength of our union, New York teachers make a good living in a very rewarding profession. Consider taking a look at teaching for your future career. So it should be noted that that was organized by my wife, Ellen Hoffman. <laughs> she put that little trip together. And in fact, that was the very last trip that we did through the school because uh, my wife, Ellen, was pregnant with my daughter, Maddie, on that trip. Ooh. We didn't announce it, mm-hmm. but... Uh, but the fact that she wasn't eating unpastorized cheese in Italy or Greece <laughs> was like away. an indication that she was pregnant. But now, I mean, it just shows you how time moves on because my daughter is going to be an 11th grader at Belport High School next year. But yeah, we love those trips. And I, I, did you feel like, I mean, what was that experience for you, that particular trip? Um, like, I think I was in 11th grade when I went. And just like all, all the two years of world history, I took Latin at the time, I took Spanish at the time, um, very open clearly to different cultures and things. <laughs> um, I just felt like everything that I had learned in school came alive to me. Like they would tell about like Roman mythology. I'm like, oh, this is where this happened. I learned this in Latin class. Mm. Like, oh, this is this legend. <laughs> oh, here's, here's this place. Oh, you know, like it, it was a very exciting time for me. Um, and then in college, I also had the opportunity. I, I didn't do one of those like semester long study abroad programs because I ran track and field and cross country in college. Um, but I did have the opportunity, I think also my junior year to go to Paris, France for two weeks on a service trip, which you know you do all these different community service and volunteer opportunities and also a little bit of sightseeing and things like that. Um, so really just one opportunity in high school to kind of spark my love for traveling and culture and definitely food. Mm-hmm. Um, and one opportunity in college. But after that, it was very much on my own. Like, this is really my passion. This is what I want to do. So you're, I think you're like one of my most reflective friends, right? You um, look at what you're doing, uh, I think professionally and personally even. like, And you're always thinking of ways to do it better. So how do you think your travel experience has influenced how you approach the ENL classroom? Um, you could almost also say the ENL students have impacted my travels, um, which I will explain. Um, you know, when you teach ENL students, 
their lives or many of the lives of students are different from my own background growing up. Um, and when you kind of live a little bit sheltered life, you don't really realize all the differences until you get into college and you actually start teaching. Um, and then of course, every student is so different. Um, with the E&L world, I really had to approach the way I taught differently, but also realize that possibly they have way more world experience and have adulted quite faster in comparison to like myself at their age. Um, so just thinking about, you know, when you do projects or when you're having discussions and things like, well, what do you actually know about this topic already? Because I'm sure, you know, maybe you have, you know, experience farming or selling things in your home country or, you know, your journey just to the United States, your life here, living here and working at the same time or, you know, helping to take care of siblings and things. Your life is just so unique and interesting. And I like to bring all those like real life experiences into my class discussions and projects and things. It sounds like your experience has made you a very culturally responsive teacher, which is what we want to push for you know, now, but would you say that your time in the city also did that for you? Like you understood that their experiences were really different also, and you needed to bring that into? Absolutely. Um, I taught in Brooklyn for three years, um, at the Erasmus Hall campus, which is, um, around Flatbush and Church Avenue in Brooklyn. That population was African-American, Caribbean, also very different, um, and where they lived, like, I clearly remember a student telling me, you know, that their mattresses are on the floor because there's gunshots going through the windows at all times. Like, you can't be at window level. I'm like, oh, forget about your homework. It's fine. <laughs> like, no big deal. Don't worry about homework. Like, it's not a thing. Um, and you just become aware that everyone's situation is so unique. Um, one of my favorite aspects, actually, of working in Brooklyn we had like a cultural heritage day. So everyone from the school, like all the kids and their parents and things would like cook meals from their home countries um, and that their families enjoy. So I have like a smorgasbord of everything. Um, there would be a student faculty soccer game, which, you know, the kids always beat us in that. <laughs> we, were, we were not good. Um, and then they had like this big cultural talent show where all the kids did like all these different dances and stuff. Um, that was one of my favorite things. I would, I would love to bring that to Belcourt High School. Mm. Um, yeah, and then, you know, now teaching the A&L students, their lives are also different. Um, but they also helped me to learn Spanish, which I would consider myself proficient in now. Mm -hmm. um, and it was cool because a few summers ago I was in um, southern Spain. And I was with another American, a Canadian, and someone from Argentina and Brazil. And two of the girls asked if we knew Spanish and if we could speak in Spanish instead of English because English was their third language. And we all agreed, we're like, we could, we could do that. <laughs> um, so for three days, we literally just spoke Spanish to each other and it was actually pretty cool and, and awesome. That is awesome. That's really great. <laughs> you know, yeah. not to brag, but where I grew up, we used to have an international day at school too where the Italian and the Irish kids <laughs> used to bring in food from their cultures. So we had both yes. Italian and Irish. <laughs> so it was, uh, did you find, so that sounds like uh, your travel experience uh, has really helped you be more culturally responsive, especially with your E&L students and then even your students in urban settings. 
do you do you feel like it adds to your AP world history classes also? Um, yeah, I feel like with the ENL students, when I bring up traveling, their response is often, why would I want to travel when I've like worked so hard to come to the United States? And I was like, oh, I never really thought about that before. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, there's all these different things to see. Yeah, yeah. Like, I worked so hard to get here. I'm like, fair point. All right. And um, they, they can't really travel. Yeah, it's much harder. going across the United States. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, this past year I taught a lot of AP students um, who travel all the time. So, like, kind of getting their mindset shift to maybe you shouldn't always go to the United States or maybe you shouldn't always stay at, like, you know, a four-star, five-star <laughs> hotel. Um, and you really need to branch out. Like, that's what I love about backpacking. Like, majority of the time I don't sign up for tours or anything unless I see a reason to. Um, normally I just plan my entire trip myself, make up my own itinerary um, of, like, specific sites I definitely want to see. And then the rest is just kind of whatever happens, happens. Um, and I think kids and families need to take more of that approach too. Like, I'm not going outside of the country to meet American food and listen to American entertainment. Like, I'm going out of the country to be with the locals. And I think that, you know, that experience also translates to the classroom, to the school, to your teams, whatever. Like, don't just be friends with the people who look like you or think like you or act like you. Like, branch yourself out to learn about people who are different from you. So I know so much of our conversation today is about, about your travels and, and that defining your summer experience. So you feel like um, when students travel, they're getting the, like a consciousness raising experience, like it changes their, their worldview? Absolutely. Um, you know, just even their like everyday thinking can be altered from these traveling experience and things. Um, I was actually reading like a, a article on Facebook that popped up the other day about like funny things people say when traveling abroad. Um, and one of them, they were traveling in Spain and their comment like or review was like, everyone speaks Spanish here. Why are there so many foreigners? But it's like, well, you're in Spain and that is where <laughs> Spanish originated. <laughs> so, you know, um, I, yeah, the comments were so hilarious and you just really, I encourage you to just branch out and, you know, get outside of your comfort zone, try different foods, try different things and experiences, like, do something different. Yeah, my, uh, my wife's uncle, uh, the first time I met him, he's a very, he was a really impressive man. He was a dean at the University of Michigan. So I was already a little intimidated by how accomplished he was. And uh, the first day I met him, he said, um, what is the purpose of education according to you and I thought well this is a very consequential question I've already been an educator for a while and I didn't really know how to answer it and he said I think the purpose of education is to liberate yourself from the familiar I like that and I thought that's a wonderful yeah thing. and I had nothing good to share with him but I never <laughs> forgot that he said that and it sounds like that's the kind of thing that you're talking about with um, you know the education that occurs in the world and mm -hmm. seeing travels that you get to liberate yourself from what's familiar, and, uh, and that's, a, that's a great growth experience. So your summers are like, I'm completely envious of them. Um, and I hope that, you know, after this summer of wedding plans, that next summer maybe you get back to some of that stuff that you're doing, a little traveling or a little 
camp counseling, directing. Um, but what are your future plans for the future summers? Um, so Rich is actually working on his master's degree right now. And we know that he will have a summer practicum next summer. Um, we're just hoping it's only the month of July. Um, because we actually had a backpacking trip, which would have been Rich's first backpacking trip um, to Italy and France planned and then COVID happened. So we didn't have a chance to go. Um, we would love to actually take that trip next summer if possible. I remember uh, in the very earliest days of COVID before it really came to the United States, you and I had a conversation and you said, do you think I'm gonna be able to go to Italy this summer? It was the <laughs> summer of 2020. And I, I remember saying to you, I would try and get your money back now. <laughs> and for someone like me, who my friends know, I'm almost professionally bad at making predictions. <laughs> if I think something's gonna happen, I would definitely put money on the other way, but, but I actually was right in that case. So. But I did get all my money back. Nice. Good. Good. And, and I, so you do plan to go back to that traveling life? I would love to, yes. Excellent. Yeah. I can tell you this, like, you know, uh, you hit different stages of life. My wife and I traveled a lot, and then when we had our daughter, people said, well, I guess you don't get to do that anymore. And, uh, and we said, you know what, we're just going to keep doing it. And yeah. we just took her along. I mean, she, my daughter has been to places she has no recollection of because she was one, two, three years old, but you're allowed to keep doing it. You don't mm -hmm. have to stop, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that's definitely our plan. Nice. Get one of those backpackers that kids sit in so we can keep yes. hiking and doing yes. things. Yeah. One of my cousins who taught at American schools across, like internationally, um, they, once they uh, started having a family, they settled back down at home so that they could be, you know, with, you know, a, a good extended support of family members. But um, they had been thinking about whether they wanted to continue teaching at American schools internationally, doing like two to four year kind of like stints in different countries because their peers who were doing that, who were raising their families um, that way, their, their children were so like well adjusted and they were so more like resilient and they just were so much more aware, right? Of like different, not just different cultures, but just like, that people were different and they were like really accepting and like very open-minded kids. And they were like, that's, that's a wonderful way to like be raised, right? Like what a wonderful experience. So they really thought about it for a long time and ended up not doing that. But, mm. but I mean, I guess you could, you could definitely, like it doesn't have to stop. Do you have your itinerary set up for Italy and France when you get back to your backpacking? Um, so the only thing we had booked was all of our flights and all of our hostels that we were staying in. Mm -hmm. So we were going to do like Rome and then go actually into Sicily because Rich has assistant cousins who still live there. Nice. So like, they were going to host us for dinner and stuff. Nice. Um, he doesn't know Italian, so we would definitely be using Google Translate the whole time. But I was like, just to be with people who live there and are yeah. from there and like they're still family would have been cool. Yeah. Um, and then like to some of the southern France, like Oceanside. We were like on that stage of planning, then we were gonna plan the next part and then <laughs> Well, Lori, thank you so much for sharing all of your travel experiences with us. Um, I know that they have helped you be the teacher that you are today, 
which is an amazing teacher. You're always challenging yourself as well as your students. So I hope you get back to all your travels that you just kind of evolve into like whatever other phase of your life, but that it doesn't necessarily have to go away. For sure. I agree. I'm speaking from experience. Uh, I've, I've worn my daughter on my back in a backpack in a lot of different places and it's, I highly recommend it. And I do think it, it translates to, um, the great things that, uh, you can bring into the classroom, which you've been doing and I know you're going to keep doing. And I love this conversation. Yes. It's exactly, uh, the kind of, um, inspiration for a lot of people. If you hear this and you think, I wish I could do that. I think Lori's, uh, message is you can. And it's why we'd love for a lot of students to start thinking about careers in education. There's a teacher shortage coming up, so it's going to be a really good career to get into. So think about education. You can do lots of traveling in the summer. That's the least of it, though. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for having me. Thanks.